This is Photo Biz X, episode number 420. And if you have ever thought about the idea of building your photography business to a point where it's able to be sold as an ongoing concern, you are going to get a ton from today's interview because our special guest, Kim Hamlin, has just been through the entire process. She built an incredibly successful photography studio, sold the business to a non-photographer, and it continues to run successfully. That interview's coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and welcome to this episode of the podcast. As I said in the intro, I'm sure you're going to get a ton from today's interview, whether or not you are thinking about selling your business because what Kim shares about how she prepared her business to sell is what made her studio so successful in the first place. So stick around whether or not you're intending to sell your business. You're going to get a ton from today's interview. Now, if you are listening to this episode as it goes live, you'll know that we are in the month of July which, (laughs) if you follow cycling at all, you will know means it's Tour de France time. And because of the current climate with COVID, I can't be there, which is where I really want to be right now. I'd love to be in France, riding my bike with all my mates, experiencing warm weather, mountains, incredible scenery, amazing food, and just good times. But instead, I'm here in Australia (laughs) in wintertime. And it means lots of late nights or late starts to the day as I catch up on the recordings from the night before. I don't know if you're the same if you're a fan of the Tour de France, but it seems to be one cycling event that anyone and everyone knows, and it never fails to bring reactions like, oh man, I wish I could be there too right now. So yeah, even though I'm depressed about the fact I'm not there in person in France, I'm going to push on (laughs) with a happy face despite that. And hope, hope that we can get back there next year. All right, back to the photography and business side of things. If you didn't catch last week's episode with Jesse Dittmar, it was a real eye-opener for me. I'm guessing it's going to be the same for you if you have not heard of, or maybe you don't know much about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Think cryptocurrency, but for artwork. In that interview, Jesse talked all about how he's creating NFTs, how he's putting them on the market in the blockchain because his thinking is this is the way of the future for art and potentially photographers and not only photography work or art but for contracts and as part of everyday life as this technology develops and gets incorporated into mainstream business and life so get back and have a listen to jesse if you haven't heard that one i'm sure it'll get you thinking welcome to another great eye for business it's time for andrew's special guest Today's guest is a newborn maternity and family photographer based in Christchurch, New Zealand. Her work is studio-based, adorable, clean, bright, beautifully lit, and focuses on her subjects, mostly smiling faces. Her website is structured to lead potential clients to purchase wall art and albums. She has a small team working for her, and she's been a solo mum since her son was 15 months old. She's built her successful business without a partner supporting her financially, with childcare, home repayments, and more. Now, looking back through the emails that we've exchanged, they go back to 2013, where she wrote saying, 
I'm a full-time photographer in Christchurch. This is still my first full year in business and I love doing what I do, but have a long way to reach my goals. Now I'm talking about the wonderful Kim Hamlin of the Portrait Studio and I'm excited to learn where she is today, if she's achieved her photography business goals and so much more. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I can't believe we've been chatting via email since 2013. That is so cool to go and find that just now. <laughs> I can't believe you found that. It's gone me away. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about trips to the snow and trips in India. We've been we've had oh, emails. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so take me back and the listener back to 2013, if you can. What was it like to you know to start the business, go out alone, not have that financial support? and start on your way in business. Yeah, gosh. Oh, wow, we're going back in time here. So uh, 2013, what would have been happening there? I was full-time, so I had quit my job the year before. I was sharing a tiny room, like one room. We've now got the whole top floor with another photographer. So we were doing like half a week each, and we'd go in there. It was our one room to do shoots and sales and whatever else we needed to do, like consultations. So um long time ago. That's now our studio office and workroom. So it's definitely evolved. While I was working full-time, I wouldn't say I was earning a full-time living. I was probably just earning enough. I did have a partner in 2013. That was my son's dad. So we kind of were balancing things out. And I also got pregnant that year. So my wee boy was born at the end of 2013. So I always would look back now and say, yes, I had dreams and goals, but I probably wasn't putting everything into it at that point. And it wasn't until about a year or so later that I realized that actually <laughs> things had to start getting real. I went out as a single mum, as you said, and decided that actually if I was going to provide for my son, I was going to do it myself. Like I wasn't going to go back to getting a job. I really was loving what I was doing. I really believed in it. And I sure as hell wasn't going to go on welfare. So I had to <laughs> dig in and make it work. Well, and did you, like at that time, I guess you went through a, a separation, your son's born, you've got the business. Did you think at that time that, you know, look, maybe the photography business isn't the best route. Maybe I should just go and get a part-time job. Or did you always think or know that the photography business would be able to support you both? Yeah, I always knew I could do it. I do love business. Like I'm probably a wee bit different to other photographers in the fact that I loved photography, but I was doing photography because I wanted to be self-employed. I wasn't self-employed because I loved photography. So there was a little bit of a shift there. So I always knew I could do it. I just didn't know how to do it. And I, th I think I've had a lot of help to learn that as well. So I didn't work it all out on my own, but I always had a vision. And there were plenty of times I wanted to quit every other week. Like the amount of times I literally sat on the floor crying is oh, countless. You know, I was stressed, I was exhausted, uh, sleep deprived, but I just knew, I knew what was possible. I could see other people doing what I wanted to do. I could see people running the business that I wanted to have. So I knew it was possible. I just had to learn to do it and I had to learn to do it while juggling, you know, being a mom and, and kind of all of that side of things. So yeah, it was definitely challenging. I definitely wouldn't go back <laughs> to that, <laughs> not for a million dollars. No, I wouldn't go back. But I'm really glad I did it. So, yeah, I always knew. What do you mean you wouldn't go back, back to those hard times or you would do things differently? Yeah, I wouldn't go back to those hard times. But if you were to start a new business, you would have to, wouldn't you? Or would you do it differently? I would definitely do it differently. Oh, my gosh. If I could go back to me, first time, supporting me and my son and I, I would do things so differently. 
Give me one example, Kim. What would you do differently? Oh my gosh, I would probably hire people quicker. I would outsource quicker. I would get as much off my plate as quick as possible because I was doing everything. I was well, trying to do everything. And, you know, you get to a point where there's only so much you can do as a one person. And I was often working at night, getting up early in the morning to do admin and things like that. And yeah, I would definitely do things very differently. Wow. Okay. The two things I want to quickly ask you, so I don't forget, you said that you saw other photographers succeeding and making this work. Was that in Christchurch or just around the world in general? Oh, just in general, around the world in general. You know, you look at the, I could see the professional studios. And whilst I was just a little wee one person band, I thought, well, you know, I could do that. I could try to do that. It's possible to do that. That's so good. Awesome. And then you know, you said you're doing everything. You know, you're juggling. You know, looking after your son, uh, Hunter. You're, uh, you know, doing the shoots. You're doing the sales session. You're doing everything. So it sounds to me, if you were now of the mindset that you would hire people more quickly and outsource more quickly, you mustn't have had any trouble bringing in bookings. You must have been, you must have been generating sessions all the time. Is that how it was? Yeah, I don't think I had too much trouble getting sessions. Mind you, back then I was only doing three or so a week. You know, so I wasn't, I wasn't that busy as in bookings, but I was busy being busy. I was busy being unorganized, doing the retouching, fussing over that a lot, um, doing all the packaging, all the production, doing things that really I didn't need to be doing. Right. So let's fast forward to today or just before, so this year, early this year, how successful did the business get? Has the business got? Well, I had a vision back then and my vision was to turn over 500,000. So it's quite ironic. We got to that at the 31st of March. We did 503. Wow. Congratulations. That is awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Which is a bit mind-blowing considering that was in the middle of the pandemic. So we had a couple of months where we didn't have any earnings at all. So that was my vision was to do that. And then actually to really sort of top it off, to give you an example of, you know, if we're talking numbers, April has been my last full month owning my business. And I actually went away for a week. I didn't do much work at all in the business at all. In fact, I haven't done much work in the business for quite some time. But I went away up to um, the Able Tasman. I had no internet, no phone. And there was one part, I was on a boat coming across on a ferry, a little taxi, water taxi. And I had internet and my team member messaged me in that five minutes to say, hey, Kim, we just hit 82,000 and we've still got sales tomorrow. (laughs) I was like, I literally let out a shriek. I think people on the boat thought we were sinking. Um, But, you know, the success isn't the numbers though. Like when I look at that, I'm like, yes, the numbers, and that's very amazing for me to think we did that. But it was my team. So the biggest success and all that time was creating the team that I've got around me because they did it. They did all of that. I had nothing to do with it. They were amazing. Uh, I think you're selling yourself short here, but let me just pull <laughs> you up on the 82K. Was that for the year to date? Was it up to April? No, no, that was the month. We actually got to 88,000 because we did the next day as well. So April was 88,000. $88,000 a month. Oh my I God. I know, right? How good is that? <laughs> In little old Christchurch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You can see why I got a bit of a shock because we don't normally do that. We we normally a little bit, a little bit less than that. So wow. yeah, okay. And I'm not sure if the listener caught what you said, but you've actually sold the business, haven't you? I have. Also, yes, I've sold the business. So yeah, bit of a a nice way to go out. A good way to go out. Wow. So the new owners are they photographers? 
No. <laughs> okay. Are they business people? Like, who are they? What's their backstory? Okay, so it's a lovely couple who have purchased my business who really believe in what we do. And so they're coming on board with all the systems in place, all the team is in place, and we'll see what happens from there, whether they train up to be assistant photographer or hire someone else. I'm not sure, but yeah, they're just people who believe in what we do and definitely, you know, good business sense. So yeah. Wow. Okay. There's so much to explore here. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. At what point did you think about selling the business? The idea that like just a loose idea came into my mind about maybe about five years ago. Oh, that long. But, but it was only like, yeah, I knew that was going to be my exit plan was to sell, but I didn't really have an intention as to when. I actually thought it would be a lot longer time frame. And a friend of mine who's a photographer, she just said to me, if you ever want to sell, you need to rename it from your name to a saleable business name. And like literally within about three weeks, I renamed my business. And then I thought, oh, okay, I probably can spend some time over the next few years systemizing things, putting people in place, putting processes in place. Like it was more to give me my time, but I also knew that when I got that, it was a saleable asset because I knew I didn't want to do photography forever. Like it was never my lifetime goal to be a photographer forever. So it wasn't really until lockdown uh, I got to stop and I got to really think about what I wanted to do and who was I, what was I doing? I thought, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm just ready for a change. And so it sort of started putting the things in process a few months after lockdown and it all kind of happened really quickly after that. Wow. So, okay, 2016, the idea pops into your head about potentially selling your business one day as an exit strategy. You talk to your friend and you change the business name. Does your business get affected financially at all? Like, Is there any downturn when you make the name change? No, no, nothing. Nothing. It, it was never... It was never an issue, trying to think. No, there was nothing because we did a promotion when we did change the name. So it kind of probably boosted, you know, income and, and customers. But I've always been pretty active on social media. And so I think people were kind of up to date with it. They knew that nothing was changing at that point except the name. So, no, I, I would say to anyone who is sort of wanting to do that, don't be afraid of it. Great. Because I think that's a big concern when photographers even contemplate the idea of changing their business name. Oh, I think, you know, I'm going to be so badly affected. But yeah, obviously there was nothing that was bad <laughs> happened to you at all. No, well, well, people don't come to you for your name. They don't actually, like, here's the reality, and this is going to sound a bit, possibly a little bit hard, but people do not go to a portrait studio because of you. They go there because of them. They want something for themselves that's meaningful. And whether your name is Bob Smith Photography or Studios Limited, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I believe you. That's true. So 2016, the idea comes into your head. You change the name. What's business looking like at that stage? Did you have a team? Were you working much in the business? Were you still doing everything? Yeah, I had a couple of part-time. I think 2016, what I have, I had a part-time retoucher and production person. I, you know, I feel bad. I can't actually remember how many hours she was doing back then, but I know it was part-time and she was a godsend. <laughs> she was doing so much for me. And I think I was just starting to hire like my admin and customer service person. I think I had a part-time coming in for that as well. Yeah. 
So yeah, maybe me and two part-timers about that time. Okay, so pretty small. And then fast forward to today, is your website up to date and current? Yeah, yeah. So you have Steph as another photographer? Well, she's the photographer. I don't do any photography in the business. Okay, right. Yeah. She does all the photography. Okay. It is all about her. She is a machine. She's amazing. Wow. <laughs> we love Steph. And then you have Linda doing portrait designer. So what's is that the Photoshop work? No, she's doing the sales. Oh, sales. Okay, right. Yeah. And then Esther? Esther is a customer services person. So she's on the phone and her and Kylie job share. So they are both doing customer services, emails, bookings, that sort of thing. And then Kylie does a bit more admin side of things. But yeah. Okay, so you've got Esther and Kylie job sharing, and you've got Linda and Steph. Are they both full-time? Steph is four days a week, plus any weekend work we do. We only work one Saturday a month, so she does the Saturday. And Linda is three days a week, because Steph also does our production now. So she has a few more hours in there. So none of them are full-time as in a solid 40 hours, but they do do extra hours if we need. Like they're all really amazing like that. If we sort of have a promotion on or an expo or something, like they will, you know, come together and do those extra days. But I try to structure the jobs to fit my team. I try to make them mum friendly because I'm a mum. I try to make them lifestyle friendly. No one in my team really wants to be doing huge hours. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, and I'm guessing that with the studio and your business, it gets to a point where the cost of doing business sort of stays the same. And then the more sales you make, the more the more cream there is. So you must be taking home a nice wage at the end of the day. Well, yes and no. It depends on how you look at that because I could do, but I choose to pay my team well. So any extra income that comes in the business, I'll generally hire someone because my time is more important than increasing my income too much. But I also put a lot aside into a buffer. So I do have... I work with the Profit First system, like for the numbers. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. But if you haven't, I recommend every business person to read Profit First. But that basically entails putting an amount aside every month for, you know, like a profit. I call it a buffer account. And that's just in case something happens, like a a lockdown. So, yeah, I don't actually take it all out myself. Right. So, Okay, that's great. That makes sense to me. So do you pay yourself a wage based on an hourly rate or you just pull an income out at the end of the year? Like how does that work for you? Yeah, I pay my team wages. And so because I kind of want to keep up with my own PAYE and, you know, like superannuation and things like that, I just pay myself when I pay my team and I have a salary. So it just goes out the same time as my team goes out. But of course, I know that there is you know, money in the business if I need it to do like um, drawings or anything, but I try not to, just I don't need to. I'm quite conservative like that. Yeah, I probably more look at protecting the business. You know, what do I do? How much do we need? If something happens, what can I do to protect my team, my business, that sort of thing. Got it. So you've explained and gone over what everyone does in the business. You also made it clear that you don't shoot. So I'm sure everyone's question is, Andrew, you've got to you've got to ask him what does she do. <laughs> I'm guessing the marketing, but is there more? Well, in April, I didn't do very much. Um, yeah, I do the marketing. I do the accounts. I support my team, so I try to support my team. They might say I don't support them enough. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm always sort of available. Like, I'll often have questions coming in from the girls about customers or inquiries. You know, what should we say? What should we do? So. I'm certainly not completely hands-off or anything. And of course, the last few months, I've been preparing the business for handover and that's kept me really busy, just getting everything in place and 
ready to change over to the ownership. So, but actually in the business, I really just do the accounts and marketing now. Right. So let's talk about that that changeover. So go back to, I think you said it was the start of COVID or during COVID. You think, okay, yeah, look, I'm ready to exit. I'm ready to stop being a photographer. What do you do next? Do you go and see a business broker or do you just put it on the market? What happens? Yeah, I wanted to do it right. And I didn't want to spend my time doing something I didn't know how to do. So I went to a broker and I went to a really good company here in Christchurch. That was nationwide, actually. And we came up with a plan and we sort of nutted out, you know, how we wanted to market the business, what we thought we should do. My broker didn't know anything about selling a portrait studio because it's not that common yet. So we came up with a plan and she did everything else for me, really. Okay. Let me take you back to that. Or you go back to that first conversation with the broker. You said you've got a studio or a portrait studio that you're looking to sell. What were some of the questions that she needed answered before she said, yes, Kim, you do have a saleable asset here? Oh, she doesn't need the, the profit and loss, really. <laughs> but didn't she want to know whether or not you need to be in the business? Yeah. Because that's what happened when I went to sell my business. Absolutely. So she wanted to know who was in the business, who was doing what, what my role was. At that time, I didn't have my salesperson. So it was late last year before I hired Linda. So at that time, I was still doing sales three days a week, but I was advertising. So I knew I wanted a salesperson on board. So she wanted to know who was in the business, what systems were in place, how much did the business rely on me as myself, you know, or could someone else step and do what I was doing? So they were all really, really important. But to be honest, you know, having systems and good financials, that's the first thing, like. She just had to know that that was replicatable. Right. And what's the broker's name? So I went with Annika and she was from Link Business. I think it was called Link Business. Okay. So did Annika say to you, Kim, at the time, you need to go and find your Linda and get someone to do sales so you can remove yourself? No. She didn't say that? No, not at all. Not at all. Because we were working purely off the numbers without Linda because, of course, the profit margin was much higher without a salesperson and potentially a new owner could come in and do sales. So it wasn't really a thing, but I was clear that because I didn't really know if the business would sell, I didn't know. I was like, well, I'm still going to go on with my goal of hiring a salesperson and getting myself out of operations. So once we did hire her, it actually made the business more saleable because it was easier for a new person to come in. You know, there's more support for them with my team all trained up. So yeah. Okay. And when you say systems, does that go as far as the marketing and advertising that you're doing all the way through to, you know, the client picking up prints and wall art? Uh, every step of the way. Right. So it had to be documented or could it just be in video format? Like how did the systems have to be presented to make your business saleable? Well, I had already created all the systems and all the training. So each role within my business has got a training system. It has a process of how to do every single thing. You know, so everything from entering a client in the database to how do we answer this question to how do we package this item, you know, every single thing was already documented. So it meant that someone coming in has got a almost like a guidebook or a, a video series that they can just go back to whenever they need. Also, my team have got that same resource that when they need to remind themselves how to do something. They don't need to come to me to ask me to show them again. So that was a bonus. It didn't have to be there, but it certainly helps to have it there. 
Right. And did you utilize video or was it all written documents? Mostly it's video. Okay. And then how did you do those? Just using screen recording software? Yeah, absolutely. I highly recommend using Loom. So L-O-O-M. It's just super easy. I can show someone around my database. I can show someone a system. They do have to listen to me quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel a bit sorry for them for that. But it means that they could see visually what to do. And I know that Kylie has been actually going through a lot of the videos and creating a written step-by-step process because she loves doing that sort of thing. I do not. (laughs) So we will eventually have a bit of both. Well, the new owners will. Got it. Okay. And so you must have started working on this well before you employed Arnika. Yeah, during lockdown, because I didn't do that much. Probably the last couple of weeks of lockdown, I thought, right, I need to hire someone else and I need to have systems in place because I don't want to be the one training you know, spending all my time training. So I just sat there and just spent a few days doing it. I mapped it out, then recorded and created it, put it into a a digital course format. And yeah, it's been a game changer actually. And then when you say digital course format, you mean on something like Teachable or like a different platform? Yeah. Yeah. So I use Thinkific, but anything like Teachable or Thinkific, they're all really easy and simple. And I find that if you're going to, and this would be for anyone who wants to hire a person, like, Create the systems, do it once and don't have to redo it over and over. And then a new person can come in and they can learn it. Nice. And then what about for the photography side for Steph? Like, is there actual poses set out that you need to get? How you set up the lights, what settings to put the camera and the lights on? That's probably the only role we haven't done a systemized training for. So I was really lucky. Steph had run her own studio in Melbourne and she'd moved to New Zealand as a, you know, as an experienced newborn photographer. And she really only spent maybe a week with me, like sort of learning what I did. And then I got the flu, like I got like the actual flu. I was out for the count and poor Steph, it was like her second week with us. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, you are on, you have to shoot. (laughs) She was like, like, "I'm, I'm fine. I got this. And she just ran with it. And she already knew what to do and we've worked together to make sure that we're capturing the families how they are but as you've seen on the website it's not technical photography it's more just capturing their emotions and their connection yeah beautiful and it's lovely photography you can see why parents and families want to buy that kind of photography with the numbers the profit and loss that Annika was looking at did she look at any of those numbers and think okay you need to up this or reduce that before we sell this or she just was going to run with whatever you gave her She did want to know why I had so much business development expenses. Um, So I've always invested in education, like for business. So I had to explain that a little bit. Is this for yourself or for your staff? For me as a business owner, I've invested in coaching and mentoring and things like that. So, you know, I sort of, because we had to work out what was an ongoing cost or expense versus what was a choice, you know, um, what I was choosing to do. So that was something I was choosing to do. It wasn't necessary for the ongoing business. So you, but other than that, no, we, you know, part of the process involves people actually going into the back end of my business and looking at the numbers and investigating it beyond the profit and loss statement. So it was pretty robust. Nice. Okay. And then how does Arnica come up with a valuation? Is that based on those numbers multiplied by another number? Yeah, so from what I understand, like it's not quite 
because beforehand I'd looked at, you know, how is there an equation, you know, and there actually isn't because it's balanced out with your profit, but also, you know, the barriers to entry. So photography is a really low barrier to entry in the market. Like anyone can get a DSLR and go out as a photographer. Yes. So as we all know, so there is that part of things. So what we wanted to do is really make sure that it was running with, you know, and also the equipment wasn't, you know, I didn't have a huge amount of equipment. So how she actually worked it out was a balance of profit, um, the systems, how much time the new owners would be involved or what would they have to learn? How much, you know, would they have to become the business, if that makes sense, as well as that barrier to entry. So, yeah. So the low barrier to entry would reduce the price but then your systems and staff and profit would increase the value. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So because I was of the understanding that, you know, often, you know, to get a rough idea, you multiply your turnover by four or something like that. Have you heard similar sort of? Oh, yeah. And it depends who you talk to. I mean, if you talk to an accountant, they'll come up with a bigger number than what a broker will because a broker is quite realistic. So, yeah, I wouldn't. I, it's, I had heard things more like your profit times by three and things like that. Um, yeah, I guess it's going to come down a lot to that barrier to entry as well, you know, and the market itself. Like, you know, they looked at a lot of factors like who was the competition, what was the market like in Christchurch, was there room for growth? That was another big thing was the potential for growth of the business. And was there? Is there? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So what was the figure that you settled on or that she suggested that you go with? It was actually one ninety five. dollars $195,000? Yep. Cool. And so when she told you, gave you that number, like did she just say that or did she write it down and send it in an email? Like were you there for her to gauge your reaction? I can't remember. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It feels like so long ago. Um, no, I think she had already come. I think we were at a cafe. And we were going over the details. And I think that was when she said, look, this is where I think we should place it in the market. And there was logic for that as well. Like if we went too high, we were going to miss the realistic, you know, like it wouldn't sell as quickly if we went too high. And if we went too low, well, we're going to miss out and we're probably going to have a different type of person looking. So she recommended 195 because it meant we'd, we'd get serious business people looking, you know, they wanted a certain lifestyle but they also wanted the profit they were business minded as opposed to I guess like photography minded yes got it got it you may not remember but do you remember your reaction to the 195 was it like oh that's nice or I was (laughs) was expecting double that no I think I was really pleased with it (laughs) good yeah I wasn't I certainly wasn't thinking we were going to sell the business for millions of dollars far from it Right. And then, okay, so you agree on a price. Then does a business broker operate like a real estate agent where they have people on their books looking to buy a business or does she have to then go and market and advertise your business? She did both actually. So she had people on her books that she knew and she contacted them, but it wasn't quite right timing or the right situation for those people. So she marketed it. And I think with Link, they have a lot of like sort of active buyers going to their website. So we had a listing on their website as well as some other like online stores and things like that, like Trade Me. And I think she she advertised in a local magazine. And yeah, so she did have to market it. Right. And then so once she starts being active about selling your business, 
how did you feel? Like, was there fear? Was there trepidation? Was there like worry about what other people would think if it doesn't sell or you? How did you react to that? I felt sick most days. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on the mark. I'm like, you're totally on the mark. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is insane. Like, this is my security. This is my business that I've worked so hard to build. I must be mad. Like, it was basically a battle between head and heart. Because yeah. my head was just like, you're an idiot, don't sell. Like, you know, 10 hours a week work and you're selling. Like, what's with that? But my heart knew. So I just kept coming back to what I realized in lockdown and what was really important to me. And I was like, um, okay, yeah. I mean, every time somebody looked at the business, I'd feel sick because I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't sound like you had any fear about the business not selling because I would be worried about that too because I would be worried about feeling like a failure if no one wanted to buy my business once it was for sale. Well, there was a little bit of that, but it's funny because I'd actually considered taking it off the market because it was going so well and I was like, head was winning. And... <laughs> Because it wasn't marketed as a portrait studio, no one no one else knew it was for sale. So if it didn't sell, no one was going to know. And I was going to be able to keep a really good business. I was actually quite unattached to it by this point because Linda was up and running. I was out of the business. I was getting my quality time with my little boy again. And if it didn't sell, I was okay with that. I didn't have any resistance to that. And it was actually literally just a couple of days before these people came along that I had decided that, yeah, I would take it off the market. You know, it's just too good to sell. I'll just keep it. And then that they came along and I was like, oh, we'll just see what happens. So but my heart, my heart knew it was time to go. So wow. lots of emotion. <laughs> I can imagine. Lots and lots of emotion. <laughs> Oh, my God. You said something interesting there that it wasn't advertised as a photography or a portrait studio. So there wasn't photos of your shop front, of your studio setup. There was no name. It was just a, quite an obscure ad, was it, or ads? It was a really obscure ad. Like when Annika came to me with your idea, I was like, oh, boy, oh, boy, I don't know about this. Like, <laughs> like we decided that we'd market it as a business and market it to business people. So we were on board with that. And she came out with, I felt it was really unusual. And she said, let's use a picture of a chicken looking over the top of its glasses. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, are you kidding? But I thought, like I said to her, I said, look, hey, you know how to sell businesses. I know how to sell photos. Like, I don't know your business, so you do it. And, I, you know, we can always change it if it doesn't work. And if you, I actually saw my ad once in a local magazine and I had to look twice. I was like, oh, that's my business. You would never know what it was. It just, just had a chicken going, you know, here's a great deal sort of thing. Here's a good business. It wasn't until you actually clicked in, like, for example, on the online ones, if you clicked into the ad. So once that got your attention, that was when you could see it was a portrait studio and a bit more about the business. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes it a little bit more I get easier for you selling the business. Like it's not out there for everyone to see that, hey, my business, it's not like a for sale sign in the, in the front window, is it at all? No, no, it definitely wasn't. And yeah, I mean, I didn't know that it would or wouldn't sell. So I was kind of like just seeing what would happen really. And I was like, okay, Annika, you just do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you to it. So how much does Arnica take out of this? Is it like a real estate agent where they take a, a small percentage, three or four percent? Yeah, I can't remember the percent now, but I think all up, she got her fees when we went unconditional. 
So I think it was about 20000 or something. So I think there was a combination of things in that as well. Advertising costs and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What does unconditional mean? Oh, sorry. So unconditional means the deal's done. It just hasn't been paid for. So we've signed the contract, this purchase sale and purchase agreement. It's just like buying and selling a house. You know how you sort of, you have that period of due diligence to make sure that, you know, everything's okay and everything is what it seems. And that was about, I think there was 15 working days, I think, where they got their accountants to log into my zero account and my payroll and they got all the details to make sure that it was actually what we said it was. And they talked to the landlord and just made sure that we could transfer the lease and all that kind of stuff. So then when we go unconditional, it means that, yep, we are going to sell. Like we've signed the contract, can't back out, I can't back out, they can't change their mind. And then it's just a case of waiting until settlement, which is when we'll actually, you know, the money changes hands and the business changes hands, which will be in a few days. Got it. Got it. Okay. It's a few days from now at the time of recording. Yeah, yeah. So we aren't 100% sure what day. We're sort of just being flexible. We've got it written down as the 17th, but it could be earlier. It just depends on their end, but they start just waiting for their money to come in sort of thing. But it's, wow. it's, yeah. How exciting. Okay, you said a couple of things there too. I, I want to take you back though, but I can't forget to ask you about the lease arrangements. But so Annika finds someone that's interested or someone approaches Annika. What happens then? Does she deal with that person? Do they get introduced to you? Does she keep you guys separate and they get access to your books? Like what happens? Mm, so what happens is she gets them, like what, she'll have a meeting with them and have a chat and find out a little bit more about them, answer their questions about the business. Uh, They sign a confidentiality agreement, and then they can see a bit more information about what, who owns, like which business it was, you know, because there's quite a few portrait photographers in Christchurch. They could see a bit more of the financials, things like that. And then, assuming they're still interested at this point, then I meet them. So... Yeah, we just go and have a coffee and a chat. I answer their questions and it sort of goes from there, really. Okay. And are they represented then by an accountant or do they have another broker representing them? Do they have someone acting on their behalf at all? Yeah, absolutely. So they have accountants and they have a lawyer. So because, of course, the same thing, we both have lawyers. The same as when you're buying and selling a house, you'll have someone just proceeding over everything, making sure that everything is legal, making sure that everything's done correctly, Nothing's being skipped, you know, so their lawyer wants to make sure they're not buying something that's going to be any trouble. So they're making sure that everything's in line. They don't so much have a broker, but yeah, they relied a lot on their lawyer and their accountant to give them good advice. Got it. Okay. So you must have had to have had a contract drawn up for sale of the business before or as you started working with Arnica? Yeah, absolutely. So I was working with my lawyer with that one. Okay, so then Annika holds on to that contract and I guess they pass, she passes that on to the, the potential buyers and then their solicitor and accountant looks over, over that uh, contract and the numbers. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so just make sure that everybody's on the same page, really. Right, okay. And then you mentioned the lease before. So what lease agreement do you have in place? So <laughs> I, I laugh because I've had this landlord for um, about eight years and he's a lovely, 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 he's like your granddad. <laughs> so we have like a one-page letter, which is our lease. Right. It's so related. I mean, their lawyer was horrified. Um, <laughs> and, we, yeah, so we just we will be going through the proper channels to get it transferred over. 
but he's happy for me to assign the lease to the new owners. He's met them. He knows that his building's being looked after and he's going to have continual business in there. So I think everybody's happy with that, but he's a he's a lovely employee. <laughs> Great. So at the time of the sale, did you have like, how many years did you have left on your lease and did you have an option for more years? Yeah, definitely. So I think I've got another 18 months on the lease and option of renewal. For how long? Another three years? I think it's four. Yeah, I think we, we did some negotiation because when, because um, I used to share the studio. So the lease was actually a sub-lease and she looked after that. So when I took over the whole lease myself, we did some negotiation at the time and it brought the rent down, but it extended the lease time frame. Right, the term of the lease. Yeah. Okay, so I know this is might be difficult to answer because it's hypothetical, but let's say you only had 18 months left on your lease with no option to extend. So what would happen then? Does the new owner or the, the potential buyer, do they go and negotiate with your landlord or do they buy the business as is? That would probably be a problem because the cost of doing a fit out and moving to a new studio would impact the profit of the business. So that was one of the, the stipulations was that the lease had to be, you know, able to be renewed. Like if I was coming up and I just had six months and no right of renewal, I probably wouldn't be able to sell the business. It would be very risky for someone to come in to then think, oh, we're going to have to reset up a whole new studio somewhere. Right. So then if you were going to sell the business at that point, you would probably go and negotiate or renegotiate the lease terms before you put the business up for sale. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely do that because that would only be fair. It'd be fair, more fair to my landlord as well as to anyone looking to purchase. Got it. So you've got the interested buyers and they're talking to Annika. You've had the meeting. They've talked to their solicitors. So they seem happy. When does the haggling happen? When do they start uh, pushing you on the price? Um, it didn't. No, it, <laughs> it didn't at all. <laughs> really? Oh, so it's not so real estate that would always happen. Uh, certainly in Australia, I'm guessing in New Zealand. Yeah, I know. They just said, we want it. Here's our offer. We said, thank you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that simple. How good is that? It really was. It, the whole process has been very simple. And, you know, and thanks to Annika, it's been very easy. Nice. With the new owners, when you had that initial meeting and I guess subsequent emails or messages or what, however you conversed, what were their biggest fears, if any? Yeah, so we went over quite a lot. So they needed to make sure, like one of their questions was how much, you know, what is it the customers want? Is it, are they coming to the studio for me? And I had to laugh because it's like, they don't even know who I am, <laughs> let alone, you know, because I knew it wasn't about me. They had to know that they could step into my shoes without any interruption to business. Yes. So that was a big one. They also needed to know that they had a photographer on board and who wanted to stay because, as I've mentioned, they're not actually photographers. So that was really important. And also that, you know, hopefully all the rest of the team, like they didn't, you know, there was a fear, I guess, that if I left, my team could leave. So it was a bit of a reassurance. They got to meet my team and talk to them and be reassured, I guess, that everything would stay as it was for them. Okay, so I was going to ask you, did they actually sit down with Steph and have a chat to her and see where she was? And it sounds like they did. Yeah, absolutely. It's just quite funny because Steph sat down with them and said, I'm not leaving and you can't get rid of me. This is my business. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> so she's lovely. And they were like, that's fantastic. So yeah. And also just that I was sort of quite worried about my team feeling 
disrupted or uncertain or destabilized by the whole process. So I was really conscious of making sure they could meet these people as soon as possible so that they felt okay with who they were as much as the fact that there would be a change. You know, they needed to feel safe going forward as well. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Now, I know that normally when, you know, we buy a house, again, in Australia anyway, you know, we'll look over the contract with our solicitor or our conveyancer and there'll be little things in there where like, oh, we want to make sure that the, you know, that the, I don't know, the stove stays, for example. They definitely don't take that and they leave the dishwasher. So was there things like that in the contract that you had to go back and forth on about the business? Yeah, I definitely had to do a good asset register and just sort of note everything that was going. So basically, I haven't taken anything out of the business. Like I no longer have a camera, but I don't use one anyway. But, you know, so everything that was in the studio, in the design room, in the sales room, we itemized the furniture, the computers, the cameras, the lights, everything. So they knew this was exactly what they were getting. There was no, yeah. The only thing I've taken out is my laptop, actually. It's the only thing I'm keeping. Right. And so did you have to do that then, you know, before they came in or this is once someone was interested? I had a general list beforehand, but I think I went through, I'm just trying to remember what order I did things and it's a bit of a blur. It feels so long ago that this was all happening now. So yeah, then I just went through and itemized everything in greater detail. And I think I must've done that for the accountant's to get a bit of a better value and just to make sure that, you know, when they come in, they know exactly what's going to be in there. Right. Okay. So then everyone knows what's going, what's staying. You've agreed on a price. Accountants and solicitors are involved. What happens then? Is it because like in a house, there's an exchange of contracts, but I'm guessing there isn't an exchange in your case. Is there signing of contracts and agree on a settlement date? Yeah, both of those. So we signed contracts and settled on the on the settlement date itself and also how much time I would give them with handover. So it wasn't like, like I was just going to say, here's the keys, go for your life. It's, I'm giving them as much time as they need within four weeks. Like I'm available every day for them if they want that to make sure that they feel really confident when, but you know, I'll be there if they need after that. So we kind of hashed out those little details, but it didn't, it's not really that much to sort of go through at that point. Wow. And so when you say that four weeks, do you have to be there nine to five for that four weeks or just on call? No. So I have started doing the handover this week and I actually went to her house to into her new office that she set up there because most of the time she'll be working remotely like I do. So she's going to start off with being me and just sort of getting her set up with the systems, getting them onto her computer helping getting her familiar with what we do. And she's already been doing a lot of the training I mentioned earlier. So I sent that through a few weeks ago. So she's actually already started doing all the training to get a really good grasp on the business itself. And then for the rest of the four weeks, it'll be, it's more like we've got a plan for what we're going to do and what we're going to go over each week. But I'm really letting her, because it's sort of the one, one person in particular will be leading the business more. And it's more like, okay, what do you need from me to ensure you feel good and, you know, confident with us. So uh, it's sort of a little bit fluid, if you like. Right. So it sounds like a husband and wife team, but the wife is going to run the business. Is that how it is? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, they'll both be involved, but mostly it's going to be be the wife. And yeah, she just loves it. <laughs> She's very passionate. <laughs> That's so good. And I'm guessing that there must have been some kind of non-compete clause where you can't run a photography business for, you know, within so many miles and for, for so many years afterwards or months. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not allowed to be a photographer for three years in the South Island, which is fine. Like I've done my time with photography. I love it. I don't have any desire to pick up a camera. So that's absolutely fine by me. Okay. And so did you and Arnika put that in the contract or is that something that the buyer wanted in the contract? I think that one came from the buyer. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Because I'd expect that anyone selling a business would have a non-compete clause, but I wasn't sure who puts it in there and who fleshes that out. But yeah, so the buyers just asked for it. I think in this case they did. I'm not sure if that's the case with every business that gets sold, but certainly it came from them at this point. Nice. With someone buying a portrait photography business, and again, you might have to speculate here, but are they buying it so she can have a job with a wage? Are they buying it to massively grow the business? to pull out profits? like What do you think is their driving force for buying a, a photography business? Mm, definitely speculating here. Um, I think they just were ready to make changes themselves in their, well, certainly in her own work situation, she was ready for a change. She wanted to do something that had meaning. So she was, you know, wasn't just looking for any business. So she wanted a business that she could really believe in. And obviously, you know, that would pay her, you know, well, without having to necessarily do 70, 80 hour weeks. Right. So it's quite an attractive business, isn't it, for someone buying it? For the amount of hours you were working and the ways you're pulling out. It sounds great. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, definitely. I think that's why it sold so quickly. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's definitely. I think if you were someone who wanted to have a business that supported your family but not be a huge drain on your energy and time, because I've had that business. It was that for me and it was exhausting and I wouldn't want anybody to work like that. So for her to come in and find a business that she believes in, that's a feel-good business, that has meaning, that can pay her well, it was a pretty much no-brainer. I think we met on the Friday afternoon, we went and had a coffee, and I think I just knew that they were going to buy it. I was like, oh, because I'd met a few people. I was like, oh, these guys, yeah, I want them to have it, and they're going to buy it. Like it was, They were so openly excited about it. Wow, that's cool. And did you say you've actually met a few people? So you did talk to other potential buyers. Yeah, I did. So I met three people all together. One person, I don't think he really understood what, <laughs> I don't think he really understood it. I wouldn't have sold it to him. Um, it was, he was a lovely man, but no. And then I met another young lady who actually rang the day after these guys put an offer in it and she wanted to put an offer in as well. Oh. So, and she was lovely. I met her and her husband, met with her, I think three times I met with her. So, but it was, I think I always knew there was a little bit of a resistance there, but it wasn't until I met these people who did buy it and I was like, oh, it's them. It's, yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I love this, Kim. First of all, <laughs> massive congratulations. It's so good. What a great story. Oh, goodness. Thank you. Knowing what you know now, and you're talking to other photographers, another photographer right now, what would you say to them about potentially, you know, building a business to sell? Like, is it something that anyone could think about and work towards or does it need a certain kind of business? I think anybody could choose to do that and start moving their business toward having an exit plan of selling. Absolutely. In fact, I really do believe that every business should have an exit plan and why not have it built to sell? Like for a change, I was ready to do something different so I could close my business or I could get paid to leave. You know, it's like, why not do that for the future? Whenever that may be, it doesn't have to be imminent. So the advice I would have would be look at what would make your business sell. What would be a barrier to sale in your business right now? And just slowly start moving those points, I guess. Like look at the name, look at the location, look at the team, look at the systems, look at the profit. 
Because by doing that in general, you're going to naturally build a business that supports you both your financially, but also your lifestyle. So everybody should do that anyway. And then to be able to put in a position of sale, well, that's just an added bonus. Yeah, got it. And so do you think the biggest thing, I mean, you, you mentioned systems there yeah, and all those other things, is the biggest thing though to remove the photographer from the business so they don't need to be in there for it to function well? Mm, I would absolutely recommend that because I think I remember saying to Annika, I don't think a photographer will be buying this business because a photographer has already got the skills to start their own. So if you are selling to a non-photographer, you need to make sure that there is, you know, the person doing the photography work is not you, unless you're planning to stay in it, which I know some people could do that. But if you can get another photographer, train them up, slowly make them the lead photographer, and then step away, that would be a really good bonus, not only for yourself in a business where you might want to have some more time with family or living life, but also for someone potentially buying it. Yeah. And was Annika on board with that idea? Was she thinking a photographer is going to buy this business? No, I don't think she did think. Because we had a lot of talks about this, about who, you know, who was our potential buyer. And obviously Annika knew a lot more about it than I did. But I knew more about the photography industry. And I think maybe I was just going by what I'd seen. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a business-minded photographer would buy a studio if they didn't want to do all the hard yards themselves. There is that possibility. But I had never seen... I'd watched a few studios around New Zealand come and go off the market and I'd sort of always watched to see what, I mean, obviously I could only look on the outside and see what may or may not be happening, but there seemed to be some common themes. And I saw actually, you know, because each time the photographer was included in the business as well, a lot of the time. And I was like, actually, I think it would be someone who wants to run a business and a couple whose wife would love what we do. And that's exactly who bought it. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. That's so good. So I'm going to link to the, it's the portraitstudio.co.nz is the website, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So link in there and follow it along on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And I'm guessing that your photo and the, the title of studio director may be removed when this goes live. There might be someone else in there. Oh, there will definitely be. And we're actually doing photos on the 10th and changing the website over around about then. So yeah, I won't be on that website at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and just to finish off, Kim, what's the plan for you now? Like, have you got any grand plans for another business? Uh, I was going to say an overseas holiday, but that's probably not possible at the moment. W- what are you thinking? Time off for two years? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. So first of all, I just bought a little camper van a couple of days ago. Nice. I know. I'm so excited. I get it in a couple of weeks. So my son and I will be having lots of little mini adventures in our camper van. And of course, I've always wanted to be a business coach. So I am going to be moving into photography business coaching. I've got a wee website up and running and just within the next few months, like I'm not in a hurry. I just sort of want to have a little bit of a space between the two just to clear my mind. But yeah, I'll be going and helping other photographers set their business up for sale and system. I love it. I love (laughs) that. You are perfect for that. So is there a website yet for that business? Yes, there is. So I haven't actually shared it with anyone yet. So here you go. You're one of the first. So it's kimmarie.co. Kimmarie.co. I'm just seeing it's going to come up for me. Oh, hey there. I'm Kim. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's so cool. Unreal. So you are off and running already with a new venture. I love that. Well, it's been a dream for a long time. That is so good. 
Unreal. All right, look, I'll get more details about that as this goes live and when you're ready to kickstart this new business so we can share more details about that with the listener. I think anyone listening would be crazy not to talk to you if they want to plan or go through something similar or build a, a great business like you have. Kim, you have been amazing. Again, massive congratulations. It's been so lovely to talk to you. And look, I'm wishing you every success for the future. I know we're going to talk again, but thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It's been, um, been a lot of fun to chat with you. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Kim as much as I did. Kim, if you are listening, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything you did. You are absolutely amazing, an absolute inspiration. And again, massive congrats for achieving everything you did, not only with the sale of your business, but in the way you built your business to the successful heights that you reached. For you, the listener, I do hope you got a ton from what Kim had to share. If you have a follow-up question for Kim, you can hit her up in the comments area of the show notes. This week, you'll find them at photobizx.com forward slash 420. Now, in those show notes, I've got examples of Kim's beautiful work or the work from her studio. I've also got links to anywhere and everything that she mentioned in the interview, including her new website, her coaching website, and what better person to learn from than someone who has actually been there and done that. So make sure you go and check out kimmarie.co if you are thinking about coaching. And of course, if you are a premium member, you'll find Kim is already part of the members Facebook group. So if she isn't off traveling and having fun with her son, I'm sure that she'll be happy to come back and answer any questions that you might have in regards to building your business, the sale of your business, finding a broke up, whatever it may be. I'm sure that Kim will be happy to answer your questions in the members Facebook group. Alrighty, that is it for me for this episode of the podcast. If you are a recent finisher of the daily vlog challenge, make sure you check your emails so you don't miss the live Zoom call we're having this week. I was going to say this Thursday, but it could be your Wednesday depending on where you live in the world. So make sure you check your emails for the links and times for that meetup. And I'll have more details about a future daily vlog challenge in an upcoming episode okay that really is it for me for this episode of the podcast stay safe healthy and well wherever you are in the world i'll be back next week with another interview i'll speak to you then bye for now if you have enjoyed this episode head to photobizx.com join the conversation leave a comment and share your thoughts on the interview with andrew and today's special guest 